uh, can be dismissed to the back. Starting up Children's Church again today, so if you want to go back there and learn on their level, <clears throat> that'd be a blessing there. Genesis chapter three. If you're visiting with us today, you are our honored guest. We're so grateful to have you with us, and and it always means the world to me when we have uh, people that'll come by and and just uh, be a guest of ours. And it means uh, even more for those that are faithful in coming. But uh, we're grateful for all that. Uh, our Bible, if you read the Bible from the beginning, uh, begins with the words, in the beginning, God. That's how the Bible starts off. It does not create an argument for God's existence. It just assumes it. Uh, it does, uh, not, not only do we have the Word of God to tell us about the existence of God, but uh, very nature has imprinted it on our hearts. Uh, I should say God's imprinted it. We also have nature to see as proof of God. And it's not too hard for most people to accept. In fact, as of right now, they say that 87% of Americans believe that there is a God. Now, there's another just as sure fact from the Bible that we have. And uh, that is that there is also a devil. Now, there's an interesting fact when you look at the statistics on that, only 60%, slightly more than half, believe that there's a devil. That's amazing to me because I wonder how you could claim the one and not the other. Either it's all true or all false, amen? I believe 100% this morning, the Bible gives it to us, also an experience of my own life, there is a devil. You could say this morning's message was inspired by a statement that I heard recently. Preachers talk about how good God is and never talk about the devil. Today, he's the subject of our conversation and our message and ask you to pray along with me as we read this passage and delve into what and who Satan really is. The Bible says in Genesis 3 verse 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. By the way, God had said that. Okay? And the woman said unto him, verse 2, unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Interesting point. She added that part. We always tend to make the commandments of God more grievous than they really are. He never said, don't touch it. He said, don't eat of it. But she added that. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then shall your eyes be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. The Bible says, and the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together, they made themselves aprons. Father, I pray this morning as we look into your word, and as always, we try to find ourselves in it. Help us, Lord, to be convicted in areas we need to and respond. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So here is man and woman on earth. They are 
of God's highest creation. I love the story of the creation, and it says when God made the, the uh, stars and the sun, it was good. And when He made the land, it was good. And he, at the end of every uh, day, it says, and God saw that it was good. But when He made man, read your Bible, it says, it was very good. Man is the pinnacle of God's creation. And here they lived in the Garden of Eden. It was a climactic paradise. It needed no rain. It was watered from a mist that came up from the ground. Genesis chapter 2, verse 6. There would be no storms, no harmful natural occurrences like hurricanes or hail or anything like that. It was a perfect temperature, the perfect humidity. There were no pests, no diseases, no mosquitoes, praise God. Isn't that a blessing? There was no sin, no guilt. Oh, I can't imagine that right there. How many days do we live in our life without guilt? Probably about that many, don't we? Something happens, we say something, we do something, and, and because of, a, of sin being our constant companion, so is guilt. But there was no guilt here. They had a perfect marriage. They never fought. They never argued. You know why? There was no shopping involved, amen? So they never had a reason to. Eve is the only woman that could open up her closet and says, I have nothing to wear, and she was telling the truth. Uh, they enjoyed the garden with all the blessings in it. They were to eat of the fruit of the garden. Countless fruit trees, grapevines, vegetables, an array of all kinds of food was in the garden, part of God's creation. But there was a tree in the middle of the garden that they were not to eat, not to touch. The Bible says if they touched this or if they ate of this tree, they would die. Now, there was no vagueness in the command. It was not a blurry rule. It was very cut and dried. You eat, you die, so don't eat. That was the command given. Adam and Eve had it made. Everything was perfect. God fulfilled every desire. They communed with God. They had a relationship with Him. And they, they spoke, can you imagine, to their Creator. They had a communion with God. And they lived in His garden. It's an interesting thing when you read about this garden. In Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says that it uses different verbs. He created the heavens and the earth. The Bible says He made the moon and the stars. It says He created the fish. He made the wild animals. He created man. None of these words were used when it came to the garden. Genesis chapter 2 verse 8, the Bible says, And God planted a garden. When it comes to the garden, he planted it. Isn't that something? Ezekiel chapter 28 verse 13 calls it the garden of God. If, uh, Isaiah 51 3 calls it the garden of the Lord. Can you imagine living in a garden that God himself planted? It was a paradise. The surroundings were very different from our surroundings today. The ecostructure, the atmosphere, the, the botanical structure. Everything was different. It was different for two very important reasons. Number one, the earth as of yet was absent from the sin curse. There were no deteriorating conditions like those associated with death and dying that we are familiar with today. Everything in our world today is deteriorating, even you and even me. That's what happens in the world that we live in. Number two, the atmospheric conditions were different. Uh, there was a protective shield that existed prior to the flood. talks about it in Genesis chapter 1, verse 7. Scientists refer to it as a double atmospheric environment. The theory is that the earth was surrounded by a blanket of invisible water vapor transparent to the light 
of stars and the sun. It produced a sort of greenhouse effect. Uh, it maintained mild temperatures throughout the earth. It prevented air mass circulation and rainfall that comes from that. Genesis chapter 2, verse 5. It would have filtered harmful radiation from space, allowing organisms to live much longer, grow much bigger, as we know uh, the age of man even before the flood. Later, this canopy would collapse in the form of rain. The Bible talks about that in Genesis 7:11, when the windows of heaven opened. Uh, they, this contributed to the great flood of Noah. It resulted in a dramatic drop-off in the longevity of life. Now, regardless of what we know, what we don't know about all that, the garden was a paradise. They lived in an amazing environment. Every feeling was good. Uh, can you imagine living in a place like that, in an absolute pain-free body, never lacking the energy to do what you need to do, never getting sick, never having any problems sleeping. Every sound was a delight. There was no cold, there was no thorns, no tears, no pain. All these things God prepared for man. Frank Abagnale, may know the name, was one of the most famous con artists that ever lived. As a teenager, after he tried to, well, he did, uh, swindle his own father out of $3,000, and, and uh, then he, as a teenager, moved to New York City. He, he got some fake IDs, because he's only 16 years old. He created uh, uh, fake deposit slips, printed with his account number on it, then he laid them on the stack in the bank so that when people deposited money, they would go into his account. He made tons of money that way as a teenager. He observed one time a car, uh, a, a car rental night, uh, a, a drop-off box for the evening when the hours were closed, and so he went to the second-hand store, bought a security outfit, and he stood, uh, put, hung a sign over the cash deposit box, out of order, hand money to security guard, and they did. He got bags and bags of cash. Uh, and he's just a teenager. Uh, he faked an ID when he was less than 20 years old that he was a Pan Am pilot, and he flew for free all around the world over a million miles, 26 countries on 250 flights. He had eight identities. When he finally did go to prison, he convinced the prison guards that he was an undercover agent for the government, and they helped him escape. He was captured again. He escaped again. So finally in 1974, uh, when they were so frustrated they couldn't do anything with him, they paroled him on one condition that he would work for the FBI. And he still does so today, uh, helping them with people like himself. But Frank Abagnale is not the greatest con artist that ever lived. I want to preach to you today on a, just for a few minutes here, on the greatest con artist the world has ever known. A con artist, it's short for confidence artist. It is a person that gains your confidence and then takes advantage of you. Financially, con artists make money through deception. They lie, they cheat, and they fool people into thinking that they have happened on to easy money or something along that line. When it's the con artist that's about to make the money off of the people he's trying to swindle. Uh, they, they take advantage of your weakness, your loneliness, your insecurity, or your simple ignorance. The con artist has no conscience. And despite what you may think, he doesn't always come across as a shady-looking character. 
A con artist is an expert at looking however he needs to look. He's an expert at convincing you that you can trust him. Ultimately, he wants your confidence. Hence, a con artist. Our confidence as a child of God should be in the Lord. The Bible says in Proverbs 3.26, For the Lord shall be thy confidence and keep thy foot from being taken. But there is someone on the prowl today that would like to ruin your confidence in God and he'll do all he can to win it for himself. He'll assuredly not do this to help you or do it for your good. He does it so that he can get your confidence in order to destroy you in your life. To bring you to the point of utter devastation. The Bible says, be sober, be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Now, he doesn't want to just hurt you. He wants to devour you. Back to the Garden of Eden, where Eve lives, in absolute paradise. God had provided everything for her. Everything that they needed was at their fingertips. Every sound was good, every feeling of delight, everything worked out perfectly. Suddenly, another appears on the scene. He's attractive. He looks good. Understand, he has done absolutely nothing for Adam or for Eve. He just knew the words to say. And he looked good. He was attractive. Now she has a choice to make here. She has a choice to follow the one who had done nothing for her or to follow the one who had done everything for her. They chose, Eve chose to obey the one Adam followed who had not done one blessed thing for them. Never gave them water to drink, air to breathe, did not hang the stars for them to see. They chose to believe the one who had done nothing and reject the one who gave them everything. That doesn't make any kind of sense, does it? The form of a beautiful servant, a serpent, I'm sorry. He cons Eve into taking everything she had been given and throwing it away to follow her own desires. I hate the devil. I hate his tactics. I hate him for the lives I've seen him destroy. As a father, to see the lies that my own children at times have bought into, to see selfishness reign in the lives of members of my own family, to see the conflict that arises in our relationships. I hate the devil. As a youth pastor for 18 years, to see the investment of parents into uh, into their lives of their children and teachers, then to see young people spit on everything that they've ever been taught and go the direction of their own desires. I've seen the rebellion that breaks the heart of parents, and destroys the future of the young people. I think of one young lady spent hours in our home. I taught her in school, counseled her in my office, took her to camp, took her on youth trips. I'm talking about invested in her life as well as many other people did too. At the age of 24, she put a gun to her head and took her own life. I hate the devil. As a pastor... To have a front row seat to broken marriages, families torn apart. To be in the room 
in the midst of broken hearts as folks buy into the lies of the devil. As decisions are being made that I know are devastating in the future of those making it. See bitterness and backbiting among God's people. I hate the devil. I hate the devil as a man. To experience the battle that I go through every day of my life, Paul talks about in Romans chapter 7. The ever-present flesh that wants its way. The temptation to discouragement, anger, resentment, bitterness. The battle that I fight every day to keep my mind right and keep my mind clean and where it ought to be. The struggle to treat my wife and my children right with kindness and patience. And the all too often failure as I allow the flesh to get control of my actions. I hate the devil. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. He's a backstabber. He wants to destroy you. Who is this person? Satan was created as Lucifer, God's choice angel. He was not satisfied with that and filled with pride. and He was so foolish as to challenge his creator. That's not a very smart thing to do. And he says, you know the story, I'm not going to go into the whole fall, but he said in his heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. He failed because he was not God. And when you are not God, it is not wise to take on God. Amen? Still today, that's not a wise thing to do. He failed. He was a loser in the beginning. He will be a loser in the end. But he will not now slink away. No, he is out on the prowl to take as many with him as possible. 1 Peter 5, 8, Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy as many as he can. So here he is, tempting God's choicest creation, and he paints up his temptation, and she listens, and only too late finds that it is not as it was advertised. Daniel Defoe said, Wherever God erects a house of prayer, the devil always builds a chapel there. And twill be found upon examination, the latter has the largest congregation. It's a sad thing, but true. Now today, we're not in the Garden of Eden. But we are in a better condition in that we, if we are, if we're saved, children of God, that is a better situation. We're redeemed. We're saved from hell. Bought back, the Bible says. We're in a relationship with the greatest individual in the world, Jesus Christ. God is our Father. Jesus is our Savior. The Holy Spirit is our Comforter. Heaven is our future home. And the devil knows that. But he's a con man. And so here he comes with a proposition. Uh, to, he brings it to us just as he brought it to Eve. Who have, we who have it better than anybody. Like he did with Eve, he puts a question mark where God puts a period. Like He did with Eve, He gets us to sacrifice all that is good toward our own destruction. And people buy into it. People get conned. Every day, people who have it made in Christ listen to the devil. Blessed by God, they want Satan's toys. Provided for by God, they worry and look to the world for provision. Victory is our inheritance, and yet 
He gets us to often accept defeat. He will always try to get you. Trade to trade in what you have to gain what you don't have. And only too late you'll find that what you had was much better than what you gave it up for. No matter how good the devil makes it look, no matter how fancy it may be, no matter how tantalizing it sounds, Proverbs 1.10, My son, when sinners entice thee, consent thou not. There's only heartache at the end of the devil's promises. He's two-faced, he's a liar, he's a backstabber, and he's out to destroy you. My challenge to you today is don't get conned by the devil. Satan is a master of misrepresentation. He is so in his person. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Satan is the ruler of the world's darkness, but he can manifest himself into a, and a being of beauty and brilliance. The word here for transform means to change one's appearance. Now, we meet him in the Bible in various guises. He's in the Bible at different times, a serpent, he's a lion, and he's an angel of light. As a serpent, it is his persuasion that fascinates us. He is diabolically clever. He's the father of lies. Our great weapon against that is the word of God in our own lives. Hey, you can't tell me, parent, that you haven't encountered those lies that your ch children have uh, glommed onto and believed. He's the father of lies. He wants to destroy you. As a serpent, it's his persuasion. As the lion, it's his passion that captivates us. He goes about seeking, the Bible says, whom he may devour. He hates the human race. He wishes us nothing but harm. He keeps the world in a constant state of turmoil. He inspires persecutions against people in general, against God's people in specific, in particular. As the angel of light, it's his position that attracts us. We see, for instance, in the book of Job that he's one of the sons of God, as he's called. We learn in the book of Job that he wields immense power. He is able, as we saw in that book, uh, to have power over the weather and over the wind. He can inflict painful disease on humans. He can control the destiny of nations. He's the author of all false religions. As an angel of light, he dazzles and deludes men. Don't get conned by the devil. Satan is the master of misrepresentation in his person, also in his product. If you've lived any time in this world, and no doubt many of us have made many mistakes, you have no doubt noticed the difference between Satan's advertisement and Satan's results. Because he packages his product of deadly poison in a very appealing way. His product is enticing. His products are inviting. Because Satan never presents sin as it really is. Well, wouldn't you like to see that commercial on television? I go to the, myself or Pastor Forsberg, some of you went with us, to the homeless shelter down in Sioux Falls. There's a beer commercial for you. There's a commercial for drugs for you. I, the, the Satan doesn't show you that side. He only shows you the, the fun side, the rewards of sin. Satan's rewards are immediate. But the consequences are long-lasting. Oh, let's not get conned by the devil. He presents only what he wants us to see. He presents something that appears fun 
and exciting, and he wants us to focus in only on the pleasure and what feels or looks good at the moment. He wants long-term consequences to be as far out of our minds as possible. Last thing we're thinking about, that's what he would like. We live in a world today that does not think of consequences. If consequences were considered today, would we have alcoholics? Would there be an epidemic of illegitimate children? Would young people rebel? It's not the weighing of consequences that allows these things. It's the ignoring of the consequences that allows this. He's a liar in his person. He's a deceiver in his product. Let's look at the process. In verse chapter uh, 3, verse 1 here, he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said? Uh, first thing he did here is he led her into doubt. He led her into doubt. He led her to be confused about the absolute obvious. Eve knew there was no question about eating of this tree. It was not allowed. Yet Satan always puts a big old question mark where God puts a period. Always questions. You be careful, friend, when the devil starts asking you questions about things you already know the answer to. And yet he does that. Uh, he will ask questions. Will, you, will a person really go to hell if they won't get saved? Do you really have to go to church every week, three times a week? Do you really have to read your Bible? You really have to tithe and on and on and on the questions go. Then after you are confused about the obvious, you begin to contemplate alternative action and then you begin to converse with the opponent. Engage in conversation. Start to believe. Get conned. How many times do we allow these conversations in our heads? And not only did he get her to lead into doubt, but lies of deception. Look at uh, what it leads to here. Yea, hath God said? That was uh, just sprinkling some doubt in on the situation. And then he progresses from that question to full-scale deception. Ye shall not surely die. He said, for God doth know. Here, here's the interesting thing Satan started doing to them. Started whispering into her ear, hey, God knows. He says it here, <coughs> that if you eat of the tree, uh, uh, that the eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened. And you shall be as gods. Hey, guess what, Eve? God's keeping things from you. He knows that if you eat of this tree, wonderful things will happen. And he starts to build this up into her life and into her eyes. Now watch this. He's saying, he's not really there for you. Uh, if he were there for you, he wouldn't keep these good things from you. By the way, these are lies that our teenagers hear all the time. Mom and dad really loved you. They let you do this, let you do that, let you have this. By the way, rebellion, if you deal with rebellion in your home, rebellion is simply one thing, it is believing a lie. That's all rebellion is. It is your child, your young person, or adult, believing a lie. Uh, we, we start to, or they start to believe a lie like your parents just want you to stay pure because they don't want you to have any fun. Uh, you know better than your authority the consequences they talk about. It won't happen to you. You're different. You're special. It, it, it's, it's happened to so-and-so. I know they talk about them, but it won't happen to you. Have fun. Live for you. Start believing the lies, then comes rebellion. Believing the lie. 
Then there we see number three, a lure of desirability. Let's look at the logic of Satan here. Verse number six, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. <laughs> well, how's that for a, for a, a great uh, temptation? Hey, look, Eve, everybody's got to eat. It's food. You've got to eat, but you don't have to eat from that tree. Amen? They had that already set down in stone for them. Now see what the devil does? Though he did it for her, he'll do it for you. He takes God's blessings in your life, decreases them to a zero, and then increases in our minds what is off limits. He magnifies what's off limits, and then he de-emphasizes what is right that we have in our life already. Listen, there's a message I preached before when you, uh, when you get what you want and lose what you have. All throughout the Bible, there are people who got what they wanted and lost what they had. Samson being a great example. Satan lies to us. In our world today, family values which are inspired by the Word of God are not only de-emphasized, but they're demonized. And look what a mess we're in today because of it. I'm simply saying when we buy into the lies of the devil, we're always going to suffer for it. I'm glad, personally speaking, that I've never gotten drunk. I've never tried a drug in my life. I thank God that when I approached the marriage altar with my wife, I had never been with a woman before. Why? Because I have friends who got conned and got into, found out that sin will scar and destroy. That doesn't make me any better than anybody. Don't get me wrong. I'm just glad for the fact that's the thing God kept me from. Amen. Because you can get scarred for life if you allow Satan to talk you into some things. Bought the lie of Satan. And it's not like it looks on the menu. It never is. A lot of times, I don't know if you've ever been in this situation, but come into a store, maybe a fast food store, restaurant, and you see wonderful pictures up on the menu. Ever seen those? I mean, they have beads of sweat on things, and oh, they just look delicious. And then you get what's you order because it looks so good. And when you get it, it looks like a big old fat cook in the back sat on it before he brought it out to you. The devil wins off of advertising. Can I say that again? The devil wins only off of advertising. Never from what he delivers. Only from advertising. He gives you lies, and they look good. Hey, the brochure is slick. It's wonderful. Looks great. God doesn't win off of advertising. God wins off of performance. Amen. God has never promised you anything that he hasn't given you. Satan makes promises all the time. Only thing is, he doesn't deliver. Salvation is everything God said and more. The Christian life is everything that God said and more. The devil will feed you his lies. You don't need to go to church all the time. That's for people that need it. Like Cody, you know, so people that need church have got to go to church. You don't need church all the time. Reading your Bible is a waste of time. You're going to miss your show. A little wine is good for you. It's not gambling, it's just a fun game. You might, or, or you have a right to be angry, and on and on and on the lies go. He gave Eve a perverted appetite. Something she didn't really need. Something that ended up destroying her. 
I don't know about you, friends, but I'd rather go through life wanting something I never had than having something I never wanted. He gave Eve the personal aspiration, a tree there desired to make one wise. Eve did not eat because she was hungry. She ate because she wanted to do what she wanted to do. And that's still where we are today. A lot of Christians end up getting conned by the devil because they want to do what they want to do. May I make a statement today? Be careful of your aspirations because often they will become the vehicle for wrong decisions. Nothing and nobody satisfies like Jesus Christ. Nothing can replace Jesus Christ in a relationship with Him. Eve made a foolish choice. Uh, why was it foolish? Anything contrary to God is a foolish choice. Now you look at the ramifications of that sin. Because of that sin, sin passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Did you know you're a sinner because Eve ate of that fruit? Oh, if I'd have been there, you are there every day, friend, for there's fruit in your life every day that you can decline or you can embrace. How you doing? We're no better than Eve. I, we've, we laugh about it sometimes. By the way, uh, just to spell one thing right now, we, we talk about amongst men sometimes a joke, we'd be much better off if the women had left the apple alone. You know what I'm saying? But the Bible says here that he gave to his wife, or, or she gave to Adam with her. My contention is he's standing right there seeing the whole thing. Adam failed when he didn't take spiritual leadership in his home like he should have. Allowed Eve to eat of the fruit. Proverbs 18.7, a fool's mouth is his destruction and his lips are the snare of his soul. Listen, friend, I don't care how many people are doing it. I don't care how normal it is. If God says don't, it is still don't. We need to abide by it. Then they had conviction. The Bible says the eyes of them both were opened. God did not tell them they were naked. Before this, they were innocent. They were innocent just like, your, like, like babies are. I remember we had our, brought our, our kids home. It didn't bother them to run into a room full of people completely naked without clothes. Didn't bother, they were innocent. Well, this is the situation before sin. There was innocence. Now that sin has entered the picture, there's guilt. They stepped outside of the umbrella of God's protection. They disobeyed God. And they... And by the way, any activity that we engage in outside of God's plan will always bring guilt and misery into our life. That's what happened to them. Now Adam and Eve faced serious consequences. They died spiritually. They began to die physically. The earth changed. Their environment changed. It was now cursed. Now there would be pain in childbirth. There would be sickness. There would be death. There'd be disease. Oh, friend, no matter how fun sin is, it'll always take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Sin is always out of your budget. We can never afford it. Here we are thousands of years later. We still have the same devil. We still have the same temptations. Hard? Yes, it's hard. We're facing an enemy with thousands of years of experience. 
By the way, he still uses the same three, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh. He still uses those three same things he used for Eve. He still uses on us today. They work really well. Why would he change tactics? It's hard. We live in a sin-sick world where Satan is the God of this world. And so it's difficult. It's hard to live right and do right with constant temptations in front of us. Can I tell you, friend, if you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it's just, uh, it's just impossible for you. Without the power of Christ working through you and in you, uh, listen, if you're here today and you're not saved, you've never accepted Christ, as your Savior, just as you consider this message, let me ask you a question. Answer it honestly. Without God, how are you doing? I wasn't doing very well without God in my life. I dare say you're not either. God loves you. He's been waiting to pick up the pieces, the result of a life that's lived for self. He says, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden. Jesus said, and I will give you rest. What a Great, loving, merciful God we serve. It would have been in His power and in His right to immediately strike them dead when they sinned. But He didn't. But because of their sin, this created a vast separation between mankind and God. Now there's a big problem because sin cannot enter into God's heaven. And so now because we are sinful, the very DNA changed in Adam and Eve. Now they were sinful creatures and their children would be sinful creatures and so on and so forth until you and I. And because of that sin, there was this great gulf fixed between God and man. But God did not just let us go. He created a way by sending His Son to die for us on the cross of Calvary. For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. What a blessing it is. The biggest con artist in the world is Satan. He hates you. He wants to trick you. He wants to destroy you. He wants there to be nothing left. He wants your life to be in shambles. He doesn't, want, he doesn't stop until you are at the bottom of the gutter and he'll keep going until you're dead and gone. He wants to destroy everything about you. On the other hand, there's God. He loves you. He loves you so much He sent His Son to die for you. Like Adam and Eve were in the garden, we also are faced with who are we going to listen to? Are we going to put our faith and trust in a God who did everything for us? Or are we going to listen to the One who has not only done nothing for us, but does much to destroy us? The, the, the answer is so clear. Let's make the right choice today. And then every day of our life, we have the opportunity of who we're going to listen to. Who are you going to listen to today, friend? Is it the con artist? Or is it the Lord Jesus Christ who gave His life for you? Don't make the wrong choice. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. We'll ask you today here, friend, Christian, if you're here today, maybe, maybe you've in some areas bought into the devil's lie. Maybe you have a child, a friend, that's been conned by the devil. And your heart's heavy for them. The altar's open for you today.